And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 118 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, February 15th, 2016. Well, yesterday was Valentine's Day, folks, and tonight, you know, that's the Grammy Awards. But, well, lo and behold, we have to deal with a crisis. Yes, here at PNR, we're prepared to deal with a lot of crises when it comes to content creators. And one of our most prolific content creators is in a heck of a crisis, and we just need to help. It's Kanye, folks. Yes. Just as his new album drops, it appears that Kanye, by his own admission, he's in debt. To the tune of $53 million, and he's asked for help. He's tweeted over the weekend that we should pray that we overcome. And then he directly tweeted to Mark Zuckerberg over the weekend that says, Mark should invest $1 billion into Kanye West ideas. He was considerate. He said, Mark, I know it's your birthday, but can you please call me tomorrow in his tweet? But Mark hasn't responded. So he's turned to Larry Page and he asked the same, Larry, I'm down for your help too, he said. You could feel the desperation in his tweets beginning to build when he said, all you dudes in San Fran, you play the rap music, but you never help the real artists. The struggle is real. So he didn't tweet to us at PNR, but we're here for you, Kanye. We're here. We've put together a nonprofit arm that can wrap Kanye in the content marketing love and help him monetize his content. We're calling it the Kanye Support for Innovative Lyrics and Love for Yeezy Assisting with Debt Campaign, or hashtag Kanye Silly Ad. That's right, hashtag Kanye Silly Ad, and we need your help. Won't you please help? Create tweets, Facebook posts, Instagram posts. Let Kanye know that PNR is there for him. The community at PNR, we're here for hashtag Kanye Silly Ad. We let him know that we hear his pleas for his debt. If Mark Zuckerberg and Larry Page won't help, we content marketers who love the content creators will. We'll spread the word. We're looking at a rally, and we hope that we, with the help of hashtag Kanye Silly Ad, can create the hope that Kanye needs in his time of need. Hashtag Kanye Silly Ad will be that hope. All right, now let's move on to the news. And for that, it's time for me to bring in my co-host, my colleague, and my good, good friend, the Yeezy of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? <laughs> that that was uh, – how does – how does he get $53 million in debt? I'm just I don't I'm just know. asking. I I'm don't just, know. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's... Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's renting out stadiums and asking his girl to marry him, and then, I don't know. I, Do you know, you know how many stadiums he's... you'll have to rent out? To, I mean, it's just... That's just ridiculous. I don't. I don't get yes. it. But you know what? Maybe your cause will help. Maybe uh, yes. Hashtag Kanye silly ad. We're serious. Hashtag tweet that out, folks. We need to let Kanye know that hashtag Kanye silly ad is his. Does he salvation. have like a, a social influencer tweet list? Is he like going down and say, okay, Zuckerberg's at the top of the list? <laughs> then <laughs> then, then yeah. you know Larry Pay. You know, going down the whole thing. And yeah. then, when does it get to us? Are we yeah. even. <laughs> it's just i mean you know i mean i have to think that this is him trying to make hay with his new album yeah um you think it's all made up oh of course well it's hashtag kanye silly ad of course no i mean you you, you think that he's making it up that he's 53 million dollars in debt yes yes i do it's all I, a hoax. I drive by his house every day. <laughs> Let me be clear. <laughs> is, I forgot you're really practically neighbors with Kanye. Yes, we, we, we live around the corner from he and Kim. And so, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's his, they're redoing their whole house. The, the, the word on the street, and this is not, I'm not selling something out of school here or that I have privy to. This is all over the tabloids as well, but that he and Kim are living with, uh, with Chris Jenner while their house that we live around the corner from is, is being redone. And so it's, you know, they're, they're, re- I mean, and they're, they're redoing the whole joint. I mean, it's, it's a whole mess right it's, now. There's so. probably a dining room table made out of 53 million. Yeah, maybe million it's the Reno. Maybe it's, yeah, yeah maybe exactly. it's the Reno that put him $53 million <laughs> like in debt. That. I mean, I know my Reno almost put oh. me $53 million in debt. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, before we get to the news, uh, yeah. I just wanted to let you know we, we just surpassed the 500,000 download mark. Thank you. Oh, my God. Song. Thank Isn't you, ladies something? and gentlemen. Thank you so much. 500,000 downloads. That is, that's something. Yeah, that is something. Uh, we've made. I don't know what it is, but it is something. It's it, it's something. We've made you all dumber for yeah. <laughs> five hundred thousand times yeah, exactly. over. It just if you want some additional stats, just and I'll end with this. So of course, fifty percent of our listenership is the United States. Then uh, we've got the UK. Australia is third. Believe it or not, Singapore, Aussies, Singapore. Yeah, that, that we're chuffed. That Sydney Singapore trip we did that really had some impact. Some staying yeah. power there. Number five yeah. is Canada, and number six is Sweden. So there you go. <sighs> I love Sweden. There's, I love going to Sweden. It's every it's every time place. you travel to. I mean, Istanbul. I'm sure is catching up. Every time you travel to a country, <laughs> it spikes. So yeah. just keep okay. Just keep traveling. I'll just keep traveling. Your thing. Yeah. I'll just keep moving. All right. All right. Let's Shall we it. to the news? Let's do it. All right. So the biggest headline that nobody seems to be talking about is MySpace. Remember that little uh, social media network? Well, it was acquired yet again uh, by our friends at Time Incorporated. This article comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch.com. And Time Inc. acquires Viant, who is the owner of MySpace and a number of other uh, social media and other uh, properties. As the article opens up, it says, It looks like MySpace is becoming a big media property once again today during its quarterly earnings report time incorporated announced that it has acquired viant v-i-a-n-t for those uh, keeping track at home a profitable company that has built a large ad tech business but also owns other properties including once hot social media networking myspace among others terms of the deal are not being disclosed um a spokesperson for viant tells us that Time Inc. intends to keep all of Viant and run it as an independent business. The company includes, in addition to MySpace, the advertising cloud product Vindico, Specific Media, which was the company that bought MySpace, and Zumo. Um, It's business as usual, he said. So what do you think, Joe? Is is it really business as usual, or is this just – I mean, what what do you make of this acquisition in MySpace? Well, you know, what's interesting – so basically, to me, it doesn't look like this story has anything to do with MySpace. No, it has nothing to do with MySpace. MySpace is an afterthought here. Well, yeah, Yeah. but in TechCrunch here, what the article comes from, it it leads with MySpace, but Time Inc. isn't talking anything about MySpace. They're talking about the, the ad tech that they're purchasing as part of the the Viant deal. And my first thought was, especially with what we talked about last week with LinkedIn and, you know, sort of getting rid of, of Bizzo is what could go wrong with a media company buying ad tech? I mean, (laughs) right. That always works out. Yeah. It always does. Every time. It's such a great, such a great thing to do. I mean, I get it. Right. I mean, if you take, it's almost like a massive data append because if you take uh, what what time has with all their audiences and then you take the technology of the this data driven technology that Viant supposedly has and you put it together i mean you've got some amazing information on 150 million visitors 
I'm that's a, it. I'm I mean, and that's that what assumption. this is. Yeah, exactly. They bought a database, right? They bought a database is what they bought. I mean, this is – you know, you can see almost literally in real time the ad tech world hitting a brick wall – in you know, it's sort of that slow motion, you know, where you see sort of things popping out and exploding and all that kind of stuff. This is the world that ad tech is in right now. And I have to figure that time went, hey, here's a way that we can reasonably acquire both a media property, yay, who cares, but a very valuable database, a very valuable set of data. This is entirely a data play for them to integrate into their own media properties and use it to serve up better advertising across their media properties, et cetera. So this is nothing other than a very, I think, a, a smart data acquisition by time. The one thing that I thought was interesting, they went into some detail about how Viance registered subscribers that they have in their network are all, um, you know, they're, they're reg- email registered users or some kind of social media integration registered users. They don't use cookies or they're not, they're moving away from cookies. And obviously with everyone going to mobile and movie, m- cookies don't exist, I think that's really smart. Because we yeah. can't. Well, that was their it. whole thing, right? That was their. So, you know, for for anybody keeping track at home here, this company Viant, which was just literally last year at this time, a company called Interactive Media Holdings. I mean, they literally last year at this time rebranded themselves as IMH, and um, or excuse me, as Viant from IMH, and. Before that, so they were an ad, an agency, an ad agency, and then they were an ad tech company, and their whole differentiator going to market was it's not just about cookies. It's about getting real specific information to use to optimize the display across multiple channels, et cetera, et cetera. And then they acquired this specific media. That was the Justin Timberlake-owned uh, company that had MySpace here in L.A. All, by the way, all of this is here in Los Angeles. And so – Basically, to your point, your excellent point, time acquired this for the rich data here, including email addresses and including all this data that they can use. I'm just trying to follow along. It was first called Specific Media. and that's Well, that was MySpace. Yeah, this is my – that's MySpace. But that's – when did Justin Timberlake get involved? Because he was so 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 news. So so here's MySpace, right? MySpace sold to News Corp for five hundred and eighty million dollars, yes. which of course Rupert Murdoch is still sort of wincing over. Then uh, it was about eighteen months later. I may be getting this time frame right. They sold it to a Justin Timberlake owned company, which was a Hollywood one of those Hollywood amalgamations of companies yeah. called Specific Media. And they sold MySpace for then for the reported selling was 35 million bucks. So from 580 to 35, ouch. They operated it and remember they were going to make it, this was mid 2000s or so, and they were going to make it a music portal, right? There was going to be all about music and musicians. And if you were a band, you were going to have a MySpace page still. That went about as well as you thought it might. And then this company, Viant, which was a, down in Orange County, they were called Interactive Media Holdings, which at the time they were an agency, and then they sort of invented some of this ad tech stuff, and they sort of moved into the ad tech world. They bought uh, MySpace or the entirety of specific media for an undisclosed, and I'm going to guess it was something less than $35 bucks, um, and basically pulled in MySpace with it, and then, of course, rebranded in January to become Viant. Oh, see, I missed the whole purchase thing because I thought specific – rebranded into IMH and then rebranded into Viant. That's what I no, thought. Spe- yeah, no, specific was sold into 
interactive media holdings. Well, I mean, you do live next to Kanye, so I'm going to take your word that you're correct. You know, yeah, that's those two things should never be correlated in the same <laughs> sentence. But but I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna you, uh, I'm gonna you know so, so I'm going cl- to claim some authority on this because so lo- I have followed it a yeah. little bit. So long story short, you believe that this is a good play for time. I do absolutely. I think it's a great play for time because you know again it was not. It was not disclosed how much they bought it for, but I'm going to guess it was somewhere in a very reasonable range here. And so they get – what do they get for that? They get some talent. They get some tech that may or may not be useful. And most importantly, they get a big, huge bucket of data. What – you know, I mean – MySpace was still doing, and my numbers are not terribly current, but MySpace was still doing something like 50 million impressions a month, a month or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it still so, is. It says in so, here that I believe it's 20 million to 50 million users each month. Yeah, so that's a real this, thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a real thing, right? I mean, and so, you know, even if they can turn some of that around and, and you know, it, it, it seems to me that it's a, it's a, it's a smart acquisition just for the data. It actually, alone. here's the thing. And here's the thing about niche media and not that 20 million to 50 billion is niche, but if it's focused on a specific audience base, let's say that it is focused on musicians. I'm sure it's more than that, but let's just say <laughs> that's, you don't need anything more than that because if you have a specific group of people, you can charge a premium for that if you know and, yeah. they, and they do they know exactly who they are they have the technology they can customize advertising to that personalize that advertising whatever you want to call it and uh, and be successful with it and i think that's where we everyone got into oh you've got to have a billion like facebook and instagram no you don't actually it's not you know i mean look i mean uh, this is way larger of a discussion than we have time for but there's not going to be too long from now where myspace is going to be a cool retro brand and, you know, and I, I can see it at least where looking at MySpace could be a really cool retro brand. So how cool would it be for some music-oriented company to underwrite a really cool experience on the MySpace, you know, on the MySpace site and turn that into a whole thing, right? I mean, there's a really interesting, interesting, interesting play, play there, brand that wanted to take a leap and do something really interesting, kind of retro uh, and kind of interest, very niche focus toward the musician slash local band slash you know music lover um, uh, community. Could be a native advertising play. I know, Ooh. right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's do it. Enough of mice already. So our next story comes to us courtesy of Ad Age. And dun, dun, dun. This is the story that more people are talking about this week, which is what marketers need to know about Twitter's new algorithmic catch-up feed. Um, So we've been talking about this for, it seems like, years. We've been talking that this was going to actually happen. And lo and behold, it's starting to happen. The Twitter timelines, as they say, are a-changing. On Wednesday, Twitter will start giving people the option to have the social network algorithmically curated their feeds to show them the top tweets they may have missed since the last time they checked, checked Twitter. Um, the adoption of an algorithmic feed echoes Facebook news feed, but Twitter isn't going full Facebook. I love that line. That's an awesome line, by the way. Um, Twitter's algorithmic feed is more of a supplement to its traditional reverse chronological feed than a replacement. For example... Twitter isn't enabling it by default. Instead, people are going to have to opt into it to access it, said Twitter VP revenue product Arneet Ranadeev. What do you think? Is this are they going to ultimately opt out of the opt-in or are they going to uh, are they going to keep that as I mean it, it seems ridiculous yeah. to me to to have it be opt-in, but I mean Here's my yeah, here's my prediction. They will go full Facebook in about yeah, 6 months. Exactly. It absolutely will because if it works for them and it sounds like they the, if they do this, which is 
I guess a little bit more of the, I thought they tried this before this, the whole while you were away feature that they tried. Yeah. And I guess this is just more of the same so that when you go, let's say that you're, you we've pulled our users and the user experience is overwhelmingly positive. So we've decided to make this a regular standard feature of the way the Twitter, Twitter, Facebook feed works. And yeah, so basically you're going to, it's going to be six hours. You're going to go back into it. And there at the top is going to be the most popular retweeted ones from your feed or for the people you follow. And, and the promoted ones, be, of, course, of course, yeah. a, a suggested post. Yeah. That's right. So it's going to be paid advertising there. And I think this is going to be, I, I mean, I want, I want Twitter to make it. I love Twitter. I don't want them to go down the tubes. I really want them to find a business yeah, model. Find a business find model for crying out loud. this. Then, yeah. then fantastic. And I think that in this case, they can learn a little bit from Facebook. Uh, they have a big enough audience that they can say, look, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to go do. If the user experience is there, which it really shouldn't disturb the user experience that much. It's all still going to be there. You can scroll down and see all the, the tweets real time if that's what you want. It makes it much I, more advertising friendly, right? It makes it oh, yeah. much more advertising friendly that you can you – can, You'll be able to target better. You'll be able to get more relevancy around what it is you're advertising in your suggested tweet than what may or may not be in your, you know, in in, in the tweets that precede yours and the tweets that come after yours. And so I think it's just a it, it's a smart move to try and monetize, and we'll see if they can actually execute against it. Did did they make the change? I haven't checked my my app yet. Did they make the change already? Is this a thing? Uh, it would is be. Just- I believe it would be tomorrow or Wednesday this week. It would be Wednesday. Yeah, it says okay. it says Wednesday. Now I may be getting my weeks mixed up here. This may be it may have been last Wednesday, but I believe it's this coming Wednesday. And well, so do, and do, and it'll roll out. I'm sure it. it'll roll out. I'm sure it'll roll out. I'm sure it'll be one of those things where you can see it in your you know it, when you hit that uh, uh, what's it called you know that that new thing that they added that always confuses me. Um, the you know it's the moments or whatever it's called yeah oh moment. yeah yeah it's yeah. your moments. And so I think that's what it's going to be similar to. So you'll go to your home feed and it'll say, hey, do you want to do you want to integrate the new feature that says we'll show you the most popular stuff in your feed? Well, and then that's what Facebook has done. They've gotten away from all the different tabs and they basically say we're just going to put it into one stream. We're going to have an algorithm that we feel is going to be beneficial for you and for us to sell more advertising against it. And it's worked pretty darn well for Facebook. Yeah, that's exactly right. No yeah, well, look at their performance. I mean, they're killing it. I mean, they're absolutely oh my gosh. killing it. I've never seen a company this big continue to accelerate earnings the way they are. Yeah. I've never, ever seen. I think this, well, I mean, we've talked about it the past couple episodes. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before. Yeah. So we will we will see. So there you go. And uh, yeah, so, so what's your, to end up this news story, what's your prediction on when they just make it standard? I six think it's going to yeah six months six six months six to seven. Well, now a lot of this depends on whether somebody buys them or not, and then you know so you know this is them this is them really trying to monetize to to sort of make a pivot here, and you know I'm I'm sure as we've reported here before they have people out in the marketplace trying to figure out an acquisition strategy. I, I would be shocked if they didn't. And if somebody does come and pick them up, you know, a Google or other company, then this may this may change. But as I see it now, probably six to seven months. I would. That's summertime, right? Summer, 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 summer time. time. There, there it go. is. Yeah, there you go. Oh, All yeah. right. This is the Luke. music episode, by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Kanye. Did you see the thing on Saturday Night Live with Kanye? 
the the battle that he had. No, I didn't see it. It's Should I have? So great. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's he's making fun of himself. It's kind of funny. It's it's. I did it's, see the Beyonce one that they did. Yeah, that was classic. Yeah, <laughs> Internet so loses its mind. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so ridiculous. Yeah. I'll tell you that SNL's doing really well by you know cutting up these little shorts that they have, and they yeah. Get, I mean, then people go back and want to watch the full episode. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, moving on to our next story here. This is a couple of stories that we've paired together, um, which is content marketing last year surged 35% while engagement dropped 17%. Shock, we've had some challenges with content marketing. We've never talked about that before. Now, this is, comes from a study um, that TrackMaven has just released, and the article that we'll actually pair with this that we'll discuss here in just a second um, comes to us courtesy of marketingland.com, and that's where that headline comes from. And basically, the article opens up by saying, a new report from digital marketing solutions provider TrackMaven reveals brands increase their content marketing output by 35% per channel in 2015, while engagement dropped 17%. According to TrackMaven's findings, as content creation surged in October, engagement dropped to its lowest point. So what do you think about this, Joe? Is this is this news at all, or is this just sort of confirmation of what we've seen out there, the sort of quantity over quality or what you know what do we have here you know i've been trying to figure this out first of all uh, just disclosure track track maven is a great partner with content marketing institute so i gotta gotta put that out there yeah absolutely uh, so that everyone knows kind of where we stand there but i i think that a lot of it i was i was looking at the numbers and i was going through the research as you know i like to do and it seems to be that when brands start to promote so much on certain social avenues that the quality goes down Shocking. I think that uh, yeah, yeah shocking, that right? Out. I think that is the issue. It, I don't know if it's a, an issue of more. I think it's more at, uh, mediocre, yeah, content instead of just say, oh, we're going to do these ten posts a day really well, or we're going to do these thirty posts away. Well, shoot, we we've got to pull resources from somewhere. We just can't do the quality we yeah. had in the ten. So I think that's why you see this lowering of engagement. I, and I mean, not that. Yeah, totally. I mean this pimps a little bit of what I'll talk about when we get to our rants and rave section a little later, but this is, that's exactly it, right? This is, it is, it is a fundamental misunderstanding of the function of content in most businesses, it, which has grown up over the last, you know, whether you call it the last 16 years, you know, since digital has really reared its head, or you call it the last seven years since we've really gotten into the whole social thing, which is really what this talks through. And this idea of more, 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 more has gotten to such a point where it's been a, it's, you know, it's quite frankly been a war of attrition. And, and all of that has been so focused on organic search and social that the idea of filling the top of the, you know, sort of content well to the extent that you possibly can be noisy, 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 noisy has been the strategy. And that's just a misunderstanding of the focus of content. And, and it's where, you know, you're never going to outgun the, the people in your that not only compete with you, but the media companies that also compete with you who do this for a living. And so you have to be better. You have to be different. You have to. That is the only way that. And this is sort of the numbers that support that idea, which is basically more does not equal better engagement. And there have been a number of studies in the last couple of years that have just sort of repeated that over and over. And this is yet another one. So it's, it's you know, doing more does not necessarily mean you're going to engage any more deeply. That's right. The one area that I would say 
and I'm, this is totally my gut feel on this as I'm reading through this. They talk about Pinterest. And there's, there's in, the, in the report itself, it talks about beware the content saturation moment on Pinterest. And it says across 2015, Pinterest is the channel with the greatest drop in average engagement ratio among the major social networks. In fact, the average brand engagement ratio on Pinterest cut nearly in half in 2015, dropping 49%. I'm what I'm wondering what the statistics would be without Pinterest. And the reason why I wanted to pick on Pinterest a little bit, it seems to be that most people are using that as a search engine more than anything else now. Yes. That is really a compliment to Google when you're looking for certain things. I don't think people are going to Pinterest to engage in any way. They're going to find something to wear. They're going to um, get a recipe, whatever the case is. I think that's what... Where I think you have to look at Pinterest. Pinterest is not Twitter. It is not Facebook. It is not LinkedIn. Well, it's such a it's such a great point, dude. Because look, when you look at I used to I used to talk about this a, a couple of years ago in the in the master class when we would talk about social, which is if you look at the engagement levels, you know, even in our own research, if you look at sort of the engagement and usage of social channels, it's not an apples to apples comparison. When you look at the you know. People don't use Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Pinterest for the same re- reasons. Yep. And you know, YouTube, for example, I would argue that from a brand perspective, from a marketing perspective, YouTube's not even really a social media channel. We should stop even thinking of YouTube as a social media channel because, quite frankly, nobody uses it for the comments and the community there. Nobody does. In fact, it's quite the cesspool when you really get into it. I mean, it's horrible, the comments on YouTube usually. And most people turn it off. The reason that we use YouTube, quite frankly, is as a free media distribution to get streaming video onto our own websites or onto some YouTube channel. And so – you know, if, unless you're, you know, PewDiePie, you're not really using it as a means of, of, of pulling in an audience. You're using it as a means of basically getting free video streaming. And so when you compare that to what, like you just said about Pinterest or what you're saying about, you know, Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook, the usage of these things and what engagement, quote unquote, really means is very, very different. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great point. Well, Leah, look across the line. I mean, whether you're looking at on Twitter, it's the retweet. On Facebook, it's the like or the comment. On LinkedIn, it's the like or the share. On YouTube, it's even the view and possibly the share. But on Pinterest, it's I'm going there to engage in content and do something. Right. So That's right. I, I think that I guess my recommendation to the Track Maven folks is I'd love to see Pinterest out of the equation. Because I, I don't think or, so, or just separate a separate se- view separate of that. that you know, it's a cross tab, right? A cross because, tab of that of those of those respondents to see what the results look like without Pinterest included in there. Because it's yeah, it, it's such it, because of the dropping of the forty nine percent. I'm I just don't want it to skew the rest of the results. To I mean, yes, we know that it's not going as well as it should be, uh, but but let's take those out and see where we're at. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing is just to close this out is to look at the you know the other thing that would affect this just from my gut instinct is the life cycle of the platform itself. Just to your point, it may have been that when Pinterest launched, it was looked at more like an Instagram or that sort of thing. But as it has grown and matured, it has become that social, you know, that search engine for that's exactly what you just said is exactly, I mean, I don't use Pinterest at all. I don't, I don't, I I just have never have, but my wife is like a Pinterest power user. She's got boards and she's got a thing and she's got different things for, you know, home renovations and decor and recipes. I mean, she loves it for that kind of stuff. And she uses it exactly like you 
said, is a search engine to find the content she wants to engage with and keep it pinned and bookmarked in her own little. So she she uses it very much like a filing cabinet to to for content she ultimately wants to engage with, but doesn't have time right now. Mm-hmm. That's that's really yeah. good point. I mean, what's interesting too is content output per brand increased most on Twitter and Facebook, sixty percent and thirty one percent year over year. The interesting thing is Twitter, and we've talked about how Twitter is in financial straits right now, and they're looking at, hey, they haven't been gaining new users. But the point is they only have to monetize the current users. They don't have to get new users to be successful. And I think everyone's looking at the wrong metrics. So anyways. Yeah. (laughs) That's enough. Yeah, exactly. That's that's just enough. Get us up on our rant about Twitter. (laughs) Stop it. All right. Just stop it. All right. Maybe Kanye and Twitter could work together to be – anyway, I'm getting off on a run. So <laughs> yeah. getting ready for the tech slowdown is our last story of the show. And it is, comes to us courtesy of PR Week, a fascinating article that basically opens up by saying, a slowdown in the flow of venture capital money, a bumpy IPO market, and grim outlooks from publicly traded tech giants such as LinkedIn – LinkedIn had a bad week last week, suggests the boom times in Silicon Valley are coming to an end. Experts say this will force new PR approaches for many enterprises and likely cutbacks in Marcom spending, depending on the severity of the downturn and how squeezed the fundraising environment becomes. A quote from Henry Wong, a principal at the Cunningham Collective, says, I can't point to any specific data, but it feels like we're nearing the end of a bubble. Silicon Valley seems to be anticipating this change. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Is this sort of the canary in the coal mine for what we're looking at in marketing and spending and tech? Or is this uh, simply just uh, a little bump in the road? I Well, you and I were talking about this beforehand. I think we're going to have to see some consolidation. Of course. Yeah, there's just too many. I mean, I we don't know uh, our you know our good friend Scott Brinker, we don't when he comes out with his new report, uh, are there are there going to be over 2000 this year, um, you know, Martech companies? I, I don't I don't know, but it should be less. Because yeah. I don't, like yeah, what are we supposed right. to do? There, there's there's niches of a niche in there and and it's all good and I love to see the innovation going on, but I think the problem is a lot of it is not innovation. A lot of it is just more more of the same. That's right. I, so. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing now sort of a there's you know look there is a there's a new level about to happen, which is this Internet of Things and some of the innovation happening in in technology that's not around MarTech or AdTech, and we forget that sometimes that there's a lot of innovate there's a lot of technology that doesn't have anything to do with marketing that's and right. sales and, yep. and and enterprise software like that. You know, there's a whole there's a whole set. I mean, some of the technology innovations that are happening around medical um, and pharma and some of the stuff around manufacturing and Internet of Things and solar power and education and I mean all these markets that we don't cover certainly on this show but are sort of over there are unbelievable innovative and will be huge, huge growth markets. So I look at this rather not as a slowdown in tech, but rather a slowdown in MarTech and ad tech because there the market is really saturated. And I I agree with you. I don't think innovation is happening very much anymore. I certainly don't see a lot of really interesting new companies that are that innovative in the space or that are doing something so different um, that it couldn't be done elsewhere. Um, 
But having said that, I think we'll see, to your point, a consolidation of sorts. I don't think this is like an explosive bubble thing. This, to me, feels much more like a, okay, let's get some sanity into this and let's start thinking about this in a way that makes better sense. In the, and, and, and some of that means, you know, a lot of these companies are going to get acquired. We talked about this at the beginning, at the end of last year. We, we, we predicted that this would be a year of huge mergers, acquisitions, consolidation yep. in the market, sort of a sanity beginning to return in that space. And I think this is a, a sign along that road and I think we're gonna see more of it as we get as we get into we get into this. Well into even this. if you look at if you talk to anyone that sells marketing automation technology, they'll tell you that their average customer uses maybe five percent of the yeah, tool set. That's exactly right. So like maybe we're just heading to the to a normal instead of just this uh, exuberant level where all these launches are happening. There's thousand pieces of technology. We don't know what half of them do. Yeah. Maybe we're just getting, let's make a choice. Let's use what we have. Let's be smart about it. Invest in what makes sense and move <laughs> forward. So. You just, you just, you just gave the abstract of my content tech keynote. That's exactly what I'm talking about in my content tech keynote. Oh, good. Then I don't yeah. have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never watch it anyway. I don't know what else. I do. Doing. I will. To, I will. I will during content tech because I think I'm moderating your session. So you are indeed. To. You are indeed. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of moderating a session, we have a wonderful, basically a wonderful sponsor that we need to talk about because they're just great. Absolutely. Special thanks again to our friends at AdStation, uh, who's bringing to life on uh, this old marketing the content monetization ebook. And one of the questions: Do they bring good things to life? I think they bring good things to life. This good things to life. They're absolutely bringing this to life. You know, one of the big questions that you and I get all the time is: How do I monetize my content? I mean, how, yeah. well, how Kanye's asking that question right now. I mean, he's Kanye, trying to figure Kanye it out. Kanye needs AdStation. Kanye that's, needs AdStation for sure. <laughs> that would solve him fifty-three million. <laughs> Ad Station, if you guys don't take this opportunity to help out Kanye, you are missing an opportunity. Absolutely. Like Red Lobster so, missed the opportunity with Beyonce. Ad Station needs this opportunity with Kanye. There you go. It's, 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 yeah. Your free tip for the Your free tip. There's only one. Yeah. I swear. Are you going to let me get through this? Yes, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Okay, that's, that's fine. I'm not going to, whatever. Hey, there's only one way to look at this. How can you uh, safely insert targeted Branded advertising into your mailings without driving any users away. Well, you know, lucky for you, Robert, there's this company called AdStation that does exactly that. And they put together an ebook on content monetization. So it lays out exactly how to dramatically increase your revenue per user without any attrition. So if you want to take a look and see about you know what this can do for you, just download AdStation's content monetization ebook. You can download it at bitly.com slash adstation dash content dash monetization bitly.com slash adstation dash content dash monetization it'll be in the show notes in the itunes or stitcher it'll also be uh, in our uh, blog post every saturday as you know and uh, thanks again to adstation for uh, bringing this to life for us well we it, certainly appreciate it it is really really good so i could not encourage you more it is just fantastic and thank you to the folks at adstation for that all right ladies and gentlemen it is time for for your favorite segment of the show, it is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, you know, Kanye looking at his electric bill or makes us feel like Kanye looking at Kim, all filled with love. Did you say they had their sexy Valentine 
Instagram thing that was went fire. I mean, it's like in the same weekend he's got this the the Instagram thing, and then and on his Valentine's Day as well as he's tweeting out yelling at Mark Zuckerberg for not giving him a billion dollars. <laughs> oh, I don't actually stalk Kanye. Like yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, so is, I, I was doing a little research for the introduction, and I happened to run across all these things. I don't normally stalk Kanye either. And, although I saw the thing, I, he, I saw his performance on Saturday Night Live. And I didn't get it at all. I you uh, know I like Kanye. I like the music, I, but his new thing, this thing that he did on Saturday Night Live, I was like, I yell, I'm lost. I, I don't understand it. I'll tell anyway. you what, uh, A plus on your research. Uh, oh, thank you. Very thorough. Very thank thorough you. on the research. So, <laughs> thank you. so uh, I have um, I have the rants and raves. First yes, you because do. Yeah, I have you this got old this old marketing. Yeah. Okay, so very very quick. Uh, two. Uh, raves that I just thought were super cool that I wanted to share, not necessarily content, but a little bit. The second one's a little bit content marketing related. So this first one comes from digitaltrends.com, and the title is Netflix Sets Up Frank Underwood Campaign Headquarters in South Carolina. I saw that. Which I just have to throw a shout out because this is amazing. And honestly, if I would imagine there's going to be people there that are going to want to vote for Frank Underwood because why not? I mean, especially with the Republican Party this year, you might as well uh, put, uh, you know, what is it? FU 2016 is his whole thing. So I think it's a great way. You know, obviously House of Cards, uh, I think, kicks off their fourth season March 4th, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've been promoting it with all sorts of videos and whatever. So Netflix decided they put together a whole campaign headquarters thing in Hollywood and, you know, brought it all over to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is really interesting because I believe that uh, Frank Underwood, you know, Kevin Spacey, the character that Kevin Spacey plays is from uh, South Carolina. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So it sort of all fits together. And so they're doing a big push here. And I just think it's fantastic. So we'll put that in the show notes because it's worth checking out. Now, that, so that's one. And the second one, I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen the, the NASA posters that uh, that uh, from Jet Propulsion Lab that they're giving away. Have you seen? I have. This? Yes, I've seen a couple of them. I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a couple of them. So I just have to. Fabulous. I just want to yeah. give a shout out to this because if you haven't seen it, so you know NASA's Jet Propulsion Jet Propulsion Labs or JPL, uh, they basically are giving away posters, and they're absolutely fantastic. They're going through you know, different types of posters, and uh, you know Jupiter and Europa and Mars, and just you know amazing uh, design that they put together. Um, so I'm putting that in the show notes as well. And I just think a couple things like first, like, what does this do? But from a support of NASA, I think that is fantastic. Anytime that they can get something like this in front, and you can sort of think about NASA. And what I thought was interesting, Robert, and the reason why I'm sharing it, and they're not doing this. So I think maybe this is a missed opportunity. Somebody in the comments, and I'll put this article in, this was covered on the drive.com. And somebody in the comments to the uh, to the poster article said, I really want to donate to NASA. Where can I do that? Yeah. Now, the, but now you they can't. don't. You right. can't. Right. You can't do that. Um, you can. You can buy the posters. So basically, you can print off the posters for free and all that good stuff. Now, if you go to purchase the posters, I actually came to a blank page on the JPL uh, station. Whop, 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 the, I know JPL whop. store. So just you know, like. Rant, you know, rant, rave here. Rave, I love the idea. It's fantastic. You're getting people excited about space travel. They actually want to do something. They want to change their behavior in some way, and they want to go buy it or donate, and they can't do it. 
So it's just yeah. something to think about as you put these things together and you want to think about, hey, well, what is the behavior that we want to see? Right. That would be an incredible – or at least to sign them up for something, right? Hey, become part of our you know ongoing program. We're going to send you a poster a month or something consistently like you're thinking about building an audience. And they've, they're halfway there, right? They're thinking about the creative part, but they're not thinking about the subscription part. So yep. yeah, there you go. Exactly. Those, those yep. are my two. That's good stuff. That's good stuff there. All right. Well, okay. So I have a rave that I want to bring up here. Um, and then I guess I'm offering a little perspective on it that's just a little different. It's an, a different angle on this particular article um, that we ran across last week. And But the, the article itself, I could not rave about more. It's just great. So Chad Pollitt, if you don't know Chad, um, ha- is part of a company called Relevance, which is just has got some great content all in, of itself. And, and he wrote a post for Outbrain. So this appears on the Outbrain blog. Um, and so we'll, of course, link to that on the in the show notes here. And he, the, he every year he writes a couple of pieces that are sort of larger scope, bigger sort of looking vision pieces. And this one he calls the macroeconomics of native advertising. And, and it's just a great, great piece. Um, it goes through basically an argument that at a macroeconomic level looks at paid media and native advertising maybe more specifically and really speaks to this idea that the changes that we've gone through really since the 90s or early 2000s have really built this situation where native advertising can exist. And then he proceeds to go through sort of this evolution. And it's just great. They, he talks through the sort of the Google zero moment of truth. He talks through the different moments of truth, which I think are a big piece of this. And then, so just to add some perspective on this, um, first of all, this idea of what he calls a content deficit. And one of the things that Chad speaks to in this article is this idea of what he calls a content deficit where and he summons the spirit of Marcus Sheridan here, who is great and, and also a friend of the show, and who calls them sort of the Sooners, right? So in the sort of spirit of the, the land rush of the, of the Oklahoma Sooners and the land rush. And, and what Chad speaks to is this land rush for topics that started about in the 2010 era where the topics were not there. And so if you could become sort of an expert or a very high quantity producing um, a, a person or company in your particular topic, you could fill this deficit and, and basically own the idea of organic search. And this is what fueled this hyper growth of content marketing over the last five years uh, is filling this gap, right? Filling the gap between the, the content deficit and what would be appearing if I searched Google for answers to particular questions. And I agree with this to in large part. This is what we talk about a little earlier in the show where we had businesses really looking at this content gap and really fueling their idea. Now, this to me has always sort of been an inevitability if you sort of looked at it, even going back to the early 2000s, this was sort of an inevitability of, well, of course, it was going to fill up to the simply focusing on the top part. And now if you find yourself in industries like real estate or, you know, technology or, um, you know, in, in many, many, many different, you know, different kinds of topics, you find that there's just no real estate is another one where you just, you know, you can't compete. But if we take a step back and we start looking at that at a macroeconomic level, this is, to me, is one of the symptoms, not necessarily the source of the challenge with content marketing, which is this idea that content is cheap. Um, Because if you look back pre-digital, one of the biggest challenges we had, and this is something I'll be talking about more at uh, Intelligent Content in, in, in just a couple of weeks, is that 
creating content back pre-digital was actually a considered purchase by the company, right? If you were going to create content, whether it was a magazine or a film or anything, it required professionals and budgets and long timelines and money. And there's a reason that few and big companies really only produced the magazines and the television shows and the, um, and the, uh, you know, and the digital things that were even there because it was expensive. And now again, to a point that Chad makes, the democratization, the digitalization of content has simply enabled anybody with Photoshop and Word and a WordPress account to compete with the New York Times. But it ultimately means that the business starts to equate cheap with digital. And we've seen this every – I was just literally having this conversation with one of the world's largest companies last week where they see TV – as expensive and critical and they should spend a million dollars to produce a 30 second commercial because it's going to air for three months and they're going to spend 50 million dollars on the time slots that it'll fill for that three months but then you look at the video that's going to live on the front page of their website forever and it struggles to get a fifty thousand dollar budget and that to me is just insane we're just you know we're looking at them very very differently But that leads us to this other idea that Chad puts out there is this idea of what is the impact then of content marketing and this idea. And he brings up the sort of, I think, you know, tired at this point, content shock idea, which is in our experience, it's not the glut of content and the declination of earned shares, which I don't dispute, by the way. He talks about this idea that shares are down, um, you know, and content is up, which we talked about just in this show with the Track Maven results. And there's no doubt that what it has done is it sort of weighted the position toward paid promotion, you know, and basically social media is now a paid channel, whether we like it or not, you know, unless you're a celebrity in varying degree, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, that's the ABC and CBS and NBC of our time. And instead of program directors theming the ads to the programming, they've got algorithms, right? So algorithms replace the programming director. And of course, native and paid is growing because it forces a human component to that theme and will, I think, agree with Chad here that it's going to be big. Native ads are going to be big because it allows us to get around that algorithm and force content in front of the eyeballs. But at the macro level, this declining effectiveness of getting content in front of the eyeballs isn't the problem. It's rather, what are they actually building? The problem with content marketing in most businesses isn't how do we get this content in front of eyeballs? Because quite frankly, to the point about television, they've got the money if they want to spend it. The problem is, is that content is treated as such a side commodity. In many cases, most content marketing is treated just as a simple alternative form of sales collateral or other kinds of ads. And so in Chad's piece, he even touches on this where he says, look, if, and this is a quote by him, he says, if the top of the funnel is ignored, then building a clearly defined audience, let alone trying to attract and retain them becomes nearly impossible to do. In other words, if the content sucks and it's just commoditized and it's treated cheaply, why do we expect people to want to subscribe to it? So ultimately, content marketing is meaningless if it doesn't build an audience that wants to return regularly, e.g. subscribe to the content we're putting out. And so why wouldn't we invest more in that? And, and at least some more, not, not necessarily replacing advertising, but at least some more. And for most part, we find that content marketing is done at the cubicle level, and it's just a different kind of ad paid asset, a different kind of ad with a little less logo, which brings me to the content shock thing, which is it's not that it's not a it's not a demand thing. Content shock is not having so much content that people don't want to can't or don't want to consume at all. They've got great filters for that now. Social media, as we just talked about with Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, are becoming great search engines to find the content we want to engage with. It is not a demand problem. Ask anybody outside of our industry if there's too much content on the internet, and they'll laugh at you. They laugh at me. I asked my wife. I said, 
honey, is there too much content on the internet? She's like, what are you talking about? The challenge is, is that it's a production issue. We produce so much of it that we can't focus on what's good. So the content shock, to whatever extent it exists, is a supply side issue, not a demand side issue. We just need to stop being this content factory that sort of churns out content like the black plume of smoke of a 19th century factory where the marketers that we sit there in our cubes with digital soot all over our face because we're putting all this crap. And so we sit there and look at this stat like from Serious Decisions that says 70% of the buying journey is done with content. Oh my God, the sky is falling, do more. And then we do it and we're shocked when it doesn't actually happen. Most marketers I speak with would love to focus on quality. They would love to use money to promote the content that they have. And that's where I come to true agreement with with Chad and what he talks about here. Paid media, native advertising, social advertising as we know it is going to still be one of the primary methods for marketers to get content distribution seen. It's a way to circumvent the social and search director um, algorithms. It's the rise above the noise, etc. I think TV and print are going to see gains as well. I mean, digital display just in January eclipsed search ads for the first time ever. But I also firmly believe that if we don't have some of those ads, the paid media, pulling audience into our owned media properties as a means of creating a subscriber that we can monetize in multiple ways, that's where we will fail with content marketing. Instead of converting customers, all content sells. It's just what is it selling? And we need to convert these subscribers into better, more meaningful experiences. That's the new customer experience. That is winning every moment of truth. Sorry, that was a bit long, but it was just – it was a great piece, and it made me really think through that, that whole idea. No, when, when Chad sent uh, you and I the overview of this, um, I, I, I told you, I said, you sent back comments that, that were much longer than the Magna Carta. Was, <laughs> but so, much less valuable. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, much longer and much less valuable. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about the con- – I, I, every time, you know, you were talking about the whole content shock thing – uh, so in in the uh, wonderful documentary, The Story of Content, uh, Kirk Shavitz, uh, who's who's interviewed regularly throughout that, he yeah. says one yeah. of my favorite comments in it. It says, you know, there's always been too much content. Of if course. we look at it that way, there are still people that haven't read the Bible. I right. mean, think about that. So we, we always think, oh, well, sure, our content isn't being engaged with, but there just must be too much. It's always That's been right. too much if we look at it from that perspective. Since Gutenberg, there's been too exactly. much. Exactly. Since the, since the printing press, there's been too much. So I right. think uh, I, love, uh, I love your angle on that. Very, very thorough. Again, you get the thorough award for, uh, for this old marketing. All right. So I have, uh, I you have this old marketing. I have this old marketing. And you and I were fighting over the fact that did we cover this before? And we've determined that we haven't. And the right. reason why we thought maybe we covered this before is because you and I, when we went on our tour of Sydney and Singapore, we watched our good friend Andrew Davis, Andrew yeah. Davis cover this many times. So we have to shout, give a shout out to Andrew Davis, who uh, sort of uh, presented this to us and why we're using it as uh, this old marketing this week. So, you know, we've watched Andrew present, you know, I probably watched him present uh, this dozens of times, but I finally actually watched the documentary called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. Have you Have you ever seen it? Have you seen I've seen this? bits of it. Bits I have not seen the whole thing. You've seen bits of it in Andrew's yeah. presentation. Yeah. So the yes, that's correct. So basically, here's the idea. So an Australian <laughs> businessman named Joe Cross, who basically filmed the movie, was and it was well, he felt significantly overweight, uh, probably about 60, 70, 80 pounds overweight where he wanted to be, and he decided to reboot his body by doing a sixty day trip across America by not eating anything, and all he did over that time was juicing. 
He actually, in his car, he had a juicer in the back of his car and would stop at like rest stops and whatever and juice and talk to the truckers and whatnot. So, and so during that trip, as he was stopping, he helped many people. And there's specifically one story in the documentary that he turned around this gentleman's life who was like something like 430 pounds and at the end ended up about 200 pounds. It's a really, really fantastic story, amazing story. And uh, about a year after the documentary was released, it took off on Netflix, like really took off, started to get many, many views. And at the same time, online, um, online juicing, before this, move, this documentary was released, the, the interest, online interest of juicing was pretty flat and major. So if you looked at Google Trends and you put in any of the juice makers or you put in juicing into Google Trends, you would see that it's pretty flat. Then in 2011, when this documentary, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, started to get popularity, it boosted um, attraction online over all these different keywords. They just went through the roof. So not not just juicing, but all the juicing manufacturers saw a significant boost in sales. Now, mind you, there were no, even though you could see, you could, if you knew juicers, you could tell which juicing machine he was using, but he never said what it was. Everything sold out. So specifically, like manufacturers such as Breville, an Australian-based company but also sells in the U.S., actually sold out of juicers after this documentary was released. They're probably looking – they're probably trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Our juicers are, are go, you know, selling out. This is, this is something. What's going on? So then um, you know, two years after that movie launched, Breville reached out to – so Breville – the a manufacturer of a juicer reached out along with many others to Joe Cross and said, "Hey, we want an official relationship similar to think you know if those listening can think about hey how do I uh, somebody that's a blogger out there or so an industry influencer how do I get a relationship with those people so basically Breville went out reached out to Joe Cross and then uh, approached with you know with this idea of hey can we align with you." So basically what Breville did was said, hey, look, Joe, you're going to create all this content about healthy living. Go ahead and create it. We want to support you in that and just let them go. Like didn't say, you know, we want to have control over it, nothing like that. He right. absolutely, they absolutely just said, look, we want, we love what you're doing. So they entered in a commercial relationship. And so now, and this is what Joe says on his site. So now I picked the Breville Juice Fountain and set off on the journey of fat, sick, and nearly dead um, to part two, so released the second part, and then just released a new movie as well. So basically, Joe Cross is in the movie uh, making business consistently over time about healthy eating and healthy living, and a lot of this is done through juicers. So it's interesting. So so Joe has um, an affiliate relationship, gets all his products for free, uh, you know, kind of what, what – what he's doing with all this whole thing. But I think it's interesting. And the reason why I wanted to use this as sort of our, this old marketing is if you are a brand, what I love about this, if you're a brand out there and you are like, look, there are some amazing influencers out there. You can actually reach out to them and do partner programs. And that's exactly. And if you go, if, I mean, basically exactly. the reason why Andrew Davis talks about this is if his, first book, Brandscaping, that's exactly what it talks about. It's like, look, you don't have to create all this content yourself. You could find the people that are really telling these amazing stories and align with them so that it helps your business. So, and I love this whole, this whole thing about, you know, Breville saw somebody out there producing great content, approached them on a deal, not actually unlike what we're seeing uh, YouTube do. 
You know, YouTube's going yeah. out to their really good, amazing content creators, and they're saying, "Look, let's let's create this YouTube Red, and we want to give you your you know your much support as you can because you know it's going to help us." So, very very smart move that I think more companies should do. And by the way. I haven't seen the second or the third documentaries that Joe Cross has put out, but I did see the first one. Uh, if you like any of those weight loss shows that they have on NBC, I don't. What do they call Robert? What's the ones that they do? They do like an hour you, show and they start. Are you off, talking about the Biggest the Loser? Biggest loser. Are you talking yeah, about yeah, the Biggest yeah, Loser? Yeah. It's like the Biggest Loser, but in like an yeah. hour and a half, so that you That's don't right. have to wait ten weeks. You can actually like see the end, see the whole thing, see right. the whole thing, and it's fantastic. And it's just amazing how that one piece of content, even though it never this is and this is amazing. This is something that another brand could do. It didn't even mention the brand. All the brands were up. It everything sold. Yeah, so exactly. if, if you if you think hey a rising tide lifts all ships, and by the way. When we launched our documentary, The Story of Content, that's what we believe. Like, we believe that if we put that documentary out there in the marketplace, that everyone that's all the agencies, all the technology companies, everybody associated everyone with will marketing. benefit yeah. from that. So that's kind of what we feel. So whether you want to launch a documentary, do something like that, help the entire industry, or just align yourself with an industry influencer, I think either way can work. So there, that's this old what a great marketing. example! Yeah. Great example, yeah, great example. Love it, love it. Find your audience, then find a product to sell them. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're, uh, so what's so what's going on this week for you? Uh, I am uh, a lot. I got a lot of kid duty actually this week. Oh, all right, uh, I got all right. yeah. So uh, we we have certain people in the household talk about monetizing yeah, exa- your content. Yeah, certain people in the household <laughs> taking vacation, so I'm going to be hanging with the boys. But we're just finishing yeah. up Intelligent Content Conference. I'm super excited about that. Obviously, I think I've got you presenting like ten times. Right. At Intelligent Content Conference, March 7th through 9th <laughs> in Las Vegas. Still time to sign up. Please do. And then, uh, you know, still we've got Content Tech, which you're keynoting at as well. And that's February 24th, I believe. Yeah. You can sign yep. up. That's a free event. Uh, but, you know, if you want to go to the, the, the our technical content event in Vegas, we want to see you there for Intelligent Content. So I'm working on those things. And are you traveling this week? I'm not actually. No, I'm heads down working this week on my, quite frankly, my finalizing my presentations for intelligent content. Um, and so I'm, I'm literally buried in PowerPoint this, uh, this, um, this coming week, um, working on my slides. Sorry Those about you that. Seen me present yeah. you. No, you. I mean, I love my. You slides. put a lot you know, into your. You put a lot more. I, I do. I, I care I do. about my slide design. So yeah. So I'm. I'm. That's where I'm. I'm. I'm neck deep in Shutterstock this week. <laughs> You don't hear that very often. No, you don't hear that very often. All right, that is it. We are signing off for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, tweet us up. Do this week. We want to see what we can do for Kanye this week. Hashtag Kanye Ciliad. If you can tweet that out, that would be super awesome. I want to see what we can do for Kanye this week. And, of course, hashtag this old marketing. Um, if you've got questions, if you've got stories, we'd love to see them. So please tweet us up and let us know what you think, story ideas, etc. Or if you've got a question or you like email, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 118, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about will be in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com, certainly at the uh, site on Saturday and with the show notes that appear on Monday evening. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.